You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast and welcome back to the second season of the Arise Bible Academy. In this second season we will kick off with our first module Hebrews Warnings. In this first lesson No Drifting, a first of four studies, Philip Edwards will introduce the warnings of Hebrews and examine the danger of drifting. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk for all the latest news and upcoming events. And also you can follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. And now over to Philip Edwards. As Christians, it's important that we keep moving forward and... Uh, if we don't, the danger is that we'll slip back. There's no uh, static place with God. We're either moving on or we're slipping back. Very similar to where Jesus says, you're either for me or you're against me. And you can't say, well, I'm, I'm just neutral. I'm either for No, he says, you're either for me or you're against me. And it's the same sort of thing with we're either growing in Christ or we're not. So we're deceived if we think we can simply just tread water in the kingdom. You can't do that. It's never wise or accurate to talk about um, I got saved so many years ago uh, as though that that was the day you got saved and you've been saved like that and you're going to stay like this and of course one day you'll either die or Jesus will come and then you'll go to heaven. So you, you stay in this static state of, of being saved. That sort of talk brings a completely wrong idea, so we need to be a little bit careful about that. Salvation, then, is a process in our lives. It implies growth and it implies development. We can talk about we were saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. So you say, well, yes, I was saved. I remember a particular day, a particular event, a time where I prayed to receive Christ, and that's the day I was saved. I understand that. There's a better terminology for that. I would say that's the day that you were justified, just as if you'd never sinned. That's the day when you received Christ as your Saviour and you put faith in him. You were justified by God. You were made whole, as it were. But then we're being saved, Every day when we learn more about Christ, when we draw closer to Christ, we're in the process of being saved. And we have a word for that as well. We call it sanctification. The idea that we're being cleansed, that we're changing. Uh, the values of Christ are becoming the values of our life. The old nature that, that dominated us is somewhat being uh, put to death within us. We're not allowing it to rule in our life. So this is salvation, the work of sanctification. Christ didn't come just to save us. That was the wonderful thing that he did. But he came to live a life and then say to us, this is the life that you are supposed to be living. And if you follow me and look at my life and allow me to live through you, I will, I will do this work on a daily basis of sanctifying or saving you. And of course, we will be saved. There will be a day when uh, we will be 
we don't know if we're going to die before he comes or not. And even if we die before he comes, we're going to be risen from the dead and uh, connected with our, our spirit will be connected with our new resurrection body. And we'll stand there before the judgment seat of Christ and, and we'll know that day we'll say I'm saved. But on that day, there's another word for that as well. It's the word will be glorified. So we could say we were justified, we're being sanctified, we will be glorified. And all that is a, a different part of this work of salvation that goes on in our life. So we're not in a static state. Salvation and the, the moving forward, the growing up in God is a continual daily process. Paul puts it this way in Acts 17 and 28. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being. It's a, it's a great, I think they made a song of that. I mean, it's, it's a great verse that our whole life, our moving, our very being, it's all in Christ. And because Christ is alive, then we're alive and we're moving and we're growing. I once worked with a young man, uh, training him to uh, be in the ministry. And of course, uh, as a young person, I remember myself as a young uh, Minister, you know, you want to do something, you want to build something, you want to make a name for yourself, and of course, you think about church expansion and growth and all these sorts of things, kingdom building, or whichever way you put it. And I said to him, because I was getting quite old by then, and I, I said, I said to him, I said, We're not going anywhere. His name was Lee. I said, Lee, we're not going anywhere. And he said, What do you mean? I said, No, we're just growing up in Christ. Because I said, we might see a lot of expansion and we might see a lot of decrease. We don't know what's going to happen. But I'll tell you one thing, day after day, whether it's good or bad, we're growing up in Christ. And that's what we've got to grasp hold of. It's not about building the biggest church. I mean, that might happen or it might not. But it's about growing up in Christ. Another verse that's similar is in Proverbs 4 and 18. It says this, the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. The path of righteousness. You see, when we came to Christ, we were declared righteous. It was imputed to us. God could communicate to us because he justified us, which meant that we were made righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And, but he said, now you're on a path. And I love the way it puts it, the path of righteousness. We're moving along this path. And it's as though the sun was there behind us and it's rising in the sky. And we're walking and the sun's getting higher and higher until we reach the noonday, and it's at its brightest, and then we've arrived. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. We just keep moving forward, moving on in this salvation. So righteousness is not a state in which we dwell, but it's a path that we progress along. And we have to be really, really patient with people. Uh, sometimes, you know, we expect people to be further along the path than, than they are because they might have been a Christian for many years and then we get frustrated with them or they might even hold a place of seniority in the church and, but they haven't moved on particularly. They're in a, they're in a place of 
of maturity, of, of seniority, as it were, but they haven't really grown or moved on. Unfortunate, because often they're seeking to lead people who have known more or done more or been further than them, which is very tricky to lead in that sense. The light on your path gets brighter and brighter every day until you reach your goal. Does Jesus become more beautiful, more lovely, more wonderful? Or is he the same Jesus that you stumbled across when you got saved? Every day we crave more light, more revelation of God, to understand him more. Oh, we've got so many questions, haven't we? Why, why, why? Well, if we just sit at home asking the question, why, 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 all the time, we're never going to learn anything. That's for certain. We've got to dig into God's word. And we've got to make sure we do the things that we can advance in, in the kingdom. True biblical faith, it not only keeps us saved, but it gently pushes us forward. It, it's... It's another one of these uh, situations in the church. Oh, uh, the word's just left my mind. You know when you say one thing and do another, or it's, it appears one thing and another. A paradox, sorry, sorry. A paradox. It's like, it's a paradox. We're at peace, aren't we, being Christians? But we're not at peace, are we? We're frustrated. We're, and we're, so, we're all right with God, but we're not all right with God at the same time because we want more, we want to understand more, you know. And we are saved, but like... But we want to be more saved. So this paradox is working all the time in our Christian life. And we've got to learn to handle it. Not become frustrated with us or ourselves or other people or anything else. But somehow handle the tension and the different paradoxes. So the Holy Spirit is always gently either pushing us or calling us forward to, to, to the brighter time, to the brighter day. Constantly, we must be on our guard against the enemy because he's always there seeking to uh, pull us off the path, uh, cause us not to want to press on. 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 3, this is Paul speaking here. He says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. He, he loved the people that came to put their faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, as we read, you know, the things that he's written, they were like his children. He, he would have died for them, wouldn't he? He, would have, he, just, he was passionate about them and passionate they would follow the Lord. He said, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you, talking like as though we were the bride of Christ, I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. See, we can be led astray in that if we're wanting to go on in this Christian life, it's a seer and a pure devotion to Christ. To Christ. Not to the church or not to ministry. It's to Christ. It's pressing on into him, wanting to know more about him, wanting to know him more and in a deeper way. The bride finding out about her groom 
she's pushing forward all the time to discover more and more uh, about this wonderful one that she's going to marry. And Hebrews 10, 38 and 39, it says, But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I'll not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. See, we can shrink back. This whole thing about is pressing on, moving forward, making ourselves more and more presentable. So when we meet Christ, we, we're not just made fit because he's made us fit, but there's been an inner purity that we've worked on pressing into to meet this one Jesus Christ that we love. God is behind everything, but we work with him, our passion and our desire for more of God. And he says, don't shrink back from it, ever. Uh, don't let Satan deceive you so you, you pull back from what, what you know to be true, because he says, if you do that, I won't be pleased with you. Now, he doesn't say he doesn't love us. God doesn't ever not love us. But if we've had children, we love them dearly, passionately, but sometimes they don't bring us pleasure. And we become very displeased with them. And we have to express that displeasure at times because they've done something so weird. But because we love them passionately. And so because maybe we love them so much, we're a bit sterner with them. We're a bit more forceful than if they were just somebody else. We would think, this doesn't matter so much to me. that They're somebody else's responsibility. Satan, you see, is trying to get you to shrink back. Complacency, just, just ease off a little bit. You, you know, just ease off. You're a bit too much. I've never met anyone who's too much. I've met some weird people. Oh, don't get me wrong, but no, you can't be too much. You know, it's like saying to a girl, "Oh, I think you love that boy too much." You go, "Don't be stupid. You can't love anyone too much." That's a stupid thing to say. Uh, you know, so. Uh, I love passion. I think we should be passionate. If we're not passionate, we won't move forward. We won't. We'll just stay here. And we're thinking, well, I'm comfortable. I've got a good life. Uh, I'm going to heaven. I'm born again. I mean, why cause a fuss? Why cause a wave? Just, just sit around and, just, and you will get there. But you see, there's, there is no sitting around. Because if you sit, you start to go back. This is what this study of Hebrews is all about. He takes us through and he warns us and it becomes five different warnings, one after the other, and they get more and more severe and we're going to read them all and, and, and of course, it's best to listen to God when he talks to you the first time. All right, don't leave it because he'll talk to you again, talk to you again, because the, the way he deals with you becomes a little bit more stronger because he loves you so much. Satan wants to... He wants to divert you from the path. He wants to cause you to slip back, as it were. He wants to destroy your testimony. So if you've done things that, and, and people know about it, you see, you don't say anything. You say, I can't say anything because they know. He wants to destroy your involvement in Christian life, cause you to pull back. That's why people upset you in the church. You pull back because they've upset you. I understand that. That's the devil's ploys and tricks all the time. And thereby, when he's finished that work, he's robbed you 
of the blessings that you are to get when you get to the end. You see, it says that we labor and in what we do, we produce fruit in our life. Now that fruit is fruit that is produced for the gardener. So the fruit that you produce in your life, you're never going to eat it. You don't eat the fruit of your labors. The gardener eats the fruit of your labors. You're simply the vine that produces it, okay? But he says, a day will come when I will meet with you and I will know the fruit that you have produced and you will receive praise from me for that fruit. That's somewhere in Corinthians, I forget now where it is, four or five or something. So we can be righteous ones who've lived by faith but then we've drawn back. That's why the warning's there. If it wasn't possible, then it wouldn't be a warning. So he's saying, listen, you can be passionate about the things of God one day, but then in time you just draw back. You might have known people like this. I mean, over the years I've seen people come in with a great whoosh, you know what I mean? They're going to save the whole world. And it's all right now because they're on the scene, they're born again, they can make it all work. Six months down the road... They're nowhere to be seen. They're not in the church. They're, they're nothing. I'm not saying they're lost. What I'm saying is, you know, um, I used to have an expression. Um, blow in. Do you remember that expression we used to have? Uh, blow in, blow up, blow out or something. I mean, it was something like that. Yeah, you remember that one? Like big noise and then, where are they gone? Where are they gone? So it's possible to be like that. So... We've been warned. God is not pleased with us if we're like that. As I said, through the book of Hebrews, we're going to study these five warnings. We'll deal with the first warning tonight uh, in chapter 2, and then uh, you'll see from your notes where they all are. They reveal Satan's schemes to outwit us. Oh, and he doesn't have to invent new schemes. Why would you invent something new when the old one worked? And also God has limited him on what he's allowed to do. See, he cannot just think up more diabolical things because God has set a limit on him. He is not allowed to tempt us beyond what we can cope with. So the limit is on Satan and what he can do. Now, for some people, that limit will destroy that person, but it shouldn't if we're walking close with the Lord. He wants to hold us back as well from moving forward. Before we continue with this uh, study, uh, I want to look at something that you're going to probably have to make a decision about. Whenever you study a major doctrine, you have to decide something. And you think, well, I don't want to decide something. Just tell me, Philip. Tell me what I'm supposed to believe. No, I can't do that. And even if I, even if I tell you what I believe, it doesn't mean that I'm right. So on all the major doctrines, we have to make a decision about something. The major doctrine that we have to consider on this one is, is it possible for you to lose your salvation? Having been saved, and I mean truly saved, and put your faith in Jesus Christ and the Spirit has come into you, can you in life then lose your salvation? Or is it impossible to lose your salvation? Now you say, well, I've thought about this one before, and I'm sitting on the fence. Or I used to believe this, and then I believed this, and then I went back to believing this. So these, these doctrinal things, they're a bit tricky. 
And I, I've done that a little bit because you can, you can listen to great theologians that, that put one side of the argument and another great band over here and you, you like a little minion in the middle thinking, am I supposed to work this out? Well, you just have to rely on the Spirit and come up with what you feel the Spirit is saying about it. Do you believe that you are eternally secure having been saved? You don't have to answer that. You'll know by the time I've finished this talk what I believe, uh, but you don't have to believe what I believe. And that, that's fine, isn't it? I can only say, I believe this, and we won't fall out about it because I'm not saying you have to believe what I believe or this is the truth. I believe it's the truth. That's why I believe it. I wouldn't believe the lie, but you might be working through it something to come up with this, your own conclusion. Are we saved irrespective of what we do. We can simply live how we like. We're saved, and so it's fine. It doesn't matter. We're not going to lose our salvation. We can just do whatever we please. Is that true? I believe a good way to approach this is to think, well, in our Christian life, we must be careful not to live in the extremes of anything. You know? We were talking a little bit before about deliverance, you know, and, and you go, well, do you believe in deliverance and can a Christian have a demon? That's another thing you've got to work out. Is it possible? Is it not possible if you're going through, you know, you've got to work that one out. If you don't think they can, that's the end of the subject, isn't it? If you think they can, well, there's a little bit more to, to, look, to look into here, you know. But to say something like, well, I think every Christian needs deliverance, that's an extreme. That's an extreme. And to say, well, maybe one or two need deliverance, that's another extreme. They're just extremes. So we want, to, we want to walk down the middle. And I'm not saying 50% of doubt and 50% of belief, because that's nothing. You have to believe something. But then try not to live in the extremes, because heresy is a truth taken too far. You see, for you to believe a heresy, it's got to have truth in it. Because you're not going to believe a downright lie. You're going to say, that's just nonsense. It's so obviously nonsense. Because if it's truth, but then we take it too far, it becomes heretical. That's the problem. We go to the extremes. Some live believing that God's grace is such that they can live just as they like. And there'll be no consequences for living like that. They're saved. God's dealt with their sin. Past, present and future, it's dealt with. Others are so frightened about their, their stand or their position before God, they think they're almost losing their salvation every day. It's more like every time they sin, oh, I've got to get this right. Well, that, that's an extreme. That's an extreme point of view. And we have to be careful that we're not dominated by fear and we're not complacent as well at the same time. Five questions to assure you that you're saved, because I don't want you walking out here wondering if you're even saved. Okay, this is, this is the first question. Can I honestly confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord? You just answer yes or no. It's simple, isn't it? I mean, and, and see, we like to think that Jesus Christ is our Saviour because we all want to be saved. But there's a, another thing about him being your Lord, isn't it interesting? The first thing you do when you're saved, that's put your faith in the Saviour, 
or I should say justified, shouldn't I not use that term? The first thing you do is he commands you to do something. He says, get in that water and get baptized. First thing, if you want to come to the Lord, you must repent, believe and be baptized. So you must obey him on the first thing. So you're not saying you're not only my saviour, you're my Lord because I'm going to do exactly what you tell me to do. Do you always want to obey Christ even though sometimes you fail? I've got this attitude, listen, if I could live my life and never sin, that's how I would live it. I would never ever sin ever again because in reality I know I will. We, we sin in our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes sometimes. It's just, you know, until we are with him where there is no sin, we'll probably struggle. But we press on as far as we can without it. Am I disappointed in myself when I sin? That's another sign that you truly are born again. Do I keep myself from the devil? Do I avoid certain places and people and activities? Do I know that if I go there, uh, I'm a bit weak in that area. I'm going to back back because I don't want to mess up. And, so, and we've all got different areas where there might be weakness within us and so we, we pull back from these places. Do I love other Christians even though I find them difficult at times? Oh, aren't some Christians a real pain? I mean, God bless them, but they are hard, hard work, okay? But, you know, you have to take a step back and thinking, that's my sister, that's my brother, you know? Are they ever going to change? Probably not. So I just need to get on and bite the bullet and love them and be gracious with them and just, you know, every time you meet them, say, Holy Spirit, help me, please. Just (laughs) pour your grace into my life, work through me, because I'm really struggling with this. Uh, Certain ones um, are EGRs, extra grace is required with them. (laughs) And and the the last little one, Have I received the Holy Spirit in his fullness and I speak in other tongues? That is a seal that he has placed upon us. The receiving of the Holy Spirit, the speaking in other tongues, is a seal of the Spirit that we're born again. Because if if we hadn't received him, the Holy Spirit could never come in because the inside of us has to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And so he has access then to come into our lives. If we have not been cleansed by his blood through faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will never come. So, you know, sometimes when the enemy gets on your case and starts to challenge you about your salvation, just give them a real burst of tongues and shut him up and uh, say, well, there you go, on your bike, listen to this, Satan. And uh, uh, I also believe if you're ever down in the dumps, which is like... Satan on your case just just start speaking in tongues I'm I'm always surprised that it works always I don't know why I am thinking why are you surprised I am because as I do it and I might do it for 20 minutes or something or if I'm driving somewhere I feel it I'll do it and then I find oh everything's got better it's different it's lighter so I mean I will always press on about the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues and that's where. Okay, uh, three, three verses now that assure us of our salvation. 
the first one is that we are chosen by God. It says in Ephesians 1 and 4, it says in other places as well, uh, is it John 15 and 16 where he says, I have chosen you, you know, and all that stuff to be for. He says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, I'll tell you what I think about this choosing. When I say I think about it, you know what that means. This is what I believe. So you don't have to believe this. You can believe something else. So I'm just putting this in here. I believe that he did choose me before the creation of the world, before, before the world ever was. Now, this is, this, this is a bit of a difficult thing to, to think about timelessness. Okay, But God lives in timelessness. So everything has already happened with God. Everything has happened. That is, that's crazy, isn't it? There's no start, there's no end. It's just, it's just this big thing where, where God is in it all. But if we, if we say that before the creation of the world, that's from our perspective, there was no world, then he created it. But from God's perspective, there it was no creation, there was creation, there was the end of creation. It was all one big thing. Anyway, see, it's difficult, isn't it? So don't go there. It's very confusing. Anyway, but this is how I see it. God could look through time and he could see me born and he could see me confronted with the gospel and he could see me putting my faith in Jesus Christ as my saviour. He could see that. He could see me choosing. And because he saw me choosing, he chose me. You understand? I think that keeps integrity. Some people will say, oh no, God chooses some and rejects others. I have a bit of a problem with my God. Not that I know know, a great amount about God. But I'm comfortable with he, he let me choose. And knowing what I would choose... He chose me. That's how I say it. So I was chosen before the creation of the world, but I still chose for myself. I wasn't controlled by God for what I would choose. For he chose us. I was chosen before the creation of the world. That's just fantastic. I'm I'm in. I'm on this. And uh, I'm not going to get out of this thing. The second thing is that our salvation is not based on works, but it's based on his grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Some would say the gift is the gift of faith to get saved. And therefore, God could select who he wants saved and who he doesn't want saved. So if he wants Roy saved, he'll give Roy the faith to get saved. But if he doesn't want Edward, he won't give him the gift of faith to get saved. See, I struggle. You know, I struggle with that because that's the election thing that I struggle with. So I think the gift that he's given us is not the gift of faith, but the gift of his mercy in that he reached out to all of us and the gift he he extended to all is is the mercy of saying i want to save you but you must exercise faith in jesus christ for that to happen that's how i see it and that salvation was not based on anything that i did or didn't do it was it was his grace it was his kindness his mercy the very word mercy means that i deserved punishment 
And mercy means I'm not going to punish you. I'm going to do the opposite to what you deserve. The third thing is that Christ has the power to keep us. Isn't that wonderful? It doesn't matter how much of a wally you are. You're safe in the hands of God. And and nothing can take you. Nothing can separate you from his love that holds you. It says in this in John 6 and 39. And this is the will of him who sent me. This is Jesus speaking. This was the will of him who sent me. I that I shall lose none of all that he has given me. But I'll raise them up at the last day. That's it. I'm secure in him. I believe I have eternal security. I believe before the foundation of the world. I believe that nothing can take me from his hands. I'm secure in him. And because he offered me the mercy and I accepted it, I'm born again. So these five warnings we're going to look at, just a brief uh, overview of them. The first one is found in Hebrews 2, 1 to 4. We're going to look at that after the break. Uh, It's it's about drifting away from God. So it it starts off very gently with you. If you're not careful, you'll start drifting. Then in Hebrews 3, 7 to 4, 13, it talks about doubting the word. Today, if you hear his voice, it says, do not harden your heart. Don't doubt the word of God. Don't become hard against his word. The third warning is Hebrews 5.11 and 6 to 6.20. It's about being dull towards God. It says in that passage of scripture, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you're so slow to learn. How can you be so dull, he says. Wake up. Can I say... About this dullness, it has nothing to do with intellect. It's nothing to do with intellect. The things of God are spiritually revealed to our spirits. Oh, isn't that that a relief? I mean, you don't have to be smart. It helps if you've got a brain and you can work some things out and you can read some books and you you can see what people are saying. That does help. But listen, God will reveal things by his spirit. And often this realizing what somebody's saying is the work of the spirit. I'm reading a bit of C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you've read some C.S. Lewis stuff. Some of it is just nice stories that have really deep meanings. The other stuff is a bit, bit tricky at times. And, and I'm reading this stuff and I'm thinking, uh, okay, I understand that. I need to read it again now. So I read it, I read it slowly, I read it slowly. And then I think, oh, I'll read it again now, I read it slowly, slowly. And so it dawns. But it isn't because my brain is warming up, it's because the Holy Spirit reveals the truth that's in it to us. But sometimes we have to apply ourselves to the things of God. The fourth warning is Hebrews 10, 26 to 29. We're told not to despise the word of God. And one of the verses says, if we deliberately keep on sinning, well, that is to despise his word. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sin is left for us. So that's where a lot of people say, 
on these verses, I'll prove to you you can lose your salvation. But I will teach it the other way, and I'll prove the opposite from those very same <laughs> verses. So, okay. And the fifth, the fifth warning is in Hebrews twelve forty-nine. Uh, sorry, twelve fourteen to twenty-nine. It's about defying the word. It says, "See to it that none of you refuse him who spoke to you." So we're going to look at drifting from God, doubting the word of God, dullness towards the word, despising the word, and finally defying the word. What do the five warnings teach us? The Bible was written for Christians, not non-Christians. We use it sometimes to win the lost, but it's a contract that was given to us. It's a covenant, old and new, that is written for Christians. So everything in that book is, is about you. Sometimes we read it and we think it's about the sinner. It's not. It's about the Christian. And so the warnings then are for us. Warning that, listen, be careful you don't drift away. Be careful you don't become dull. God is a caring father who wants the very best for his children. This Bible that we have, yes, it is a covenant that we have between us and God, but it's a pastoral book. It's always about shepherds, isn't it? Whether it's King David or Jesus. or it's, it's always about shepherds. It's pastoral. It's about one who loves and wants to lead us and feed us and move us forward. That's true. But it's also a parental book. Because God is our father. So it's written like a parent. Parents love and encourage their children. Well, good parents do. They constantly are loving them and encourage them. But there are times when they have to warn them and say, listen, you're heading for a fall. I'm warning you now. Both are needed at different times in the child's development. Times of affirming the child and times of warning the child. But it's all done through love. It's not done for any malicious or angry reason because we love them. The scripture is like that. There is a warning. If you do not persevere, you'll lose out. That's what the Bible says. You must persevere in this thing. But it also promises that Christ gives you the power to persevere. So it's, it's both things at the same time. And, and we really have to hold God in that way as well. Sometimes God can be very stern, you know, with us and deal with us very strongly, but he's still a loving, wonderful God. It's almost like prophecy, which is strong, but at the same time, it's encouraging. He says, listen, unless you change in your ways, you're heading for a fall, but I love you and I'm going to save you if you'll only listen to what I say. That's how it is all the time. The Father constantly encourages us in our relationship with Jesus. Remember this drifting away is drifting away from Christ, the one who Paul says, I want to present you to him as a beautiful virgin bride. The warnings then are for those who make little of Christ. And also the promises are there for those who make much of Christ. We must make sure that we make much of Christ. Both of them are seeking to exalt Christ in our life. 
all the practical things that we'll look at over these weeks, it's said that Christ is appreciated more. Ignoring Christ in our lives is a singular work, really, probably, of why Christians fall away. They don't love Jesus Christ. We've got to do that. I was, listening, I was reading, I shared this with someone, I was reading through that baptismal paper the other day, you know, and it, it says at the very end, we were baptised into the church. Do you, do you remember reading that on that piece of paper at the end? And I thought, hmm, that's not biblically sound. We're not baptised into the church, are we? We're baptised into Jesus Christ. Okay, now you can say, well, you know, that is the church. Oh, no, that's not what was meant on that piece of paper, you know. And so we have to be careful that we're not baptised into... Um, and, and we know as movements start, they say you've got to be baptised again into our movement. So it's not that. You're either baptised into Christ or you weren't baptised at all. It's about him. It's always about him. Falling away from Christ in this world, falling away, will affect our destiny in the future. We have to keep close to him, pressing in. God will discipline us. Because he knows that our eternal destiny depends on his discipline. And he wants the very best for us. I rejoice over that. I relish being disciplined by the Lord. <laughs> you, we know you're weird, Phil. <laughs> we know you're... See, I don't want to go on one more day missing it if all it takes is someone to hit me around the back of the head and say, stop doing that, idiot. Walk this way. And I'm going to say, thank you very much. See, and it doesn't... I know how much God loves me. So when the discipline's hard, it's fine, because I know it's love. I know it's through love. And he's not doing it because he's angry like natural parents might get angry with their child and do something. God never does it. God doesn't get angry. He doesn't, he doesn't become angry. There is a thing called the wrath of God, but it's nothing to do with the anger that we understand. His love is so great... He will never stop disciplining you. Isn't that wonderful? So, bring it on, Lord. Bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. Hebrews 12, 4 and 6, just as, in case you think it's just me being crazy. Uh, I, I need to point everything I say to the Word of God, otherwise you might think, oh, he's just weird. Okay. In your struggle against sin, he's talking about here, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Oh, it's dramatic, isn't it? And you have forgotten that the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as his sons. You will get punished by the Lord. And praise be to God that we will, because he loves us. This punishment, here we go, it gets worse. Yeah. This punishment can cost us our lives. 
without a doubt. We've got it in scripture. There's a simple uh, analogy. If in a football match, uh, a person fouls, he gets a yellow card, yes? And, and that's a warning. The warning is, if you do that again, or a similar thing, you'll get another yellow card, and when you've got two yellow cards, you go off the field. Now, I know that some defenders, even some forwards, they're a bit hot-headed, okay? And so I think the manager thinks when sometimes they get a card, a yellow card early, he's watching them because he thinks, I know, I know the temperament of this player. He's likely to get another one and then he's off. And then we're 10 versus 11. So he might, halfway through or soon after half them, pull him off. Why is he pulling him off? Because he wants to save the team, you understand? He pulls him off so they can win. If he leaves him on and he gets another yellow card, he's blown the whole game. That's the manager's job, to do that. God's at liberty to remove any one of us at any time if we are instrumental in not causing the church to grow and expand. Isn't that what he did with Ananias and Sapphira? Let's read that, Acts chapter 5, 3 to 5. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? These are born-again believers, full of the Holy Spirit, because they've lied to the Holy Spirit. They're lying to the Holy Spirit that's in Peter as well. He said, what made you think of doing such a thing? They must have been converts, otherwise Peter would never have judged them. We have no right to judge the world. We can only look and judge the church. He says, you have not lied to man but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. So, so the punishment of the Lord can be... But were they lost? Did they lose their salvation? I don't think for one minute. In the same way that player that got, the, got pulled off the pitch, he's back on the next Saturday, isn't he? Because they need him, OK? And the manager hopes he won't get a yellow card. I know that. He'll skirt very close to the laws. So, so he might pull us off, but we won't lose our salvation. And the last little thing I want to just look at here. God our Father is patient and long-suffering. Oh, we know this. He, he requires patience of us. He said it is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, patience and peace. The admonitions of God through this study that we do, they become stronger and stronger as we go through the book, indicating the Father's tolerance and patience with us. That's it. It's better to respond first time than push him and push him and push him to the end. Let's make a start then on these warnings that become more and more Severe as we go through the whole book of Hebrews. Uh, the warning in, in, in your Bible, it, uh, the editor might have, um, have put these in. In fact, as a little bit of homework, if you've not done this already, you can go through the book of Hebrews and you can discover that they're paraphrases. So it, it jogs along with the story, then you've got this paraphrase of, of one of the warnings. So um, I've done it in my Bible, and they're all, they're all coloured green. Uh, 
but I don't know if you paint your Bible like that. Anyway, uh, so uh, the first one is in, is in chapter 2, and it's actually headed by the editor's notes, yeah. warning to pay attention. And then the next one is in chapter 3, and it begins at verse 7. It says, the warning against unbelief. And it's like a, a paraphrase, and you can work it out how, you know, where the warning begins and when the warning ends. So we're going to be look at this this first one here. So, um, would somebody like to read this? So it's not my voice all the time. Uh, if you're going to read it, well, I'm going to come. So I'm going to you're going to hear you clearly reading it. Okay. Okay. So this. Is so, so chapter two, Hebrews, and this and says a verse. warning against. Drifting away. That's it. Okay. Read there those few verses there. Warning against drifting away. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. Great, thanks. We'll go through it and uh, just verse by verse, really, or or sometimes line by line and word by word, and just uh, expose what the whole passage is about. It says, We must, we must pay attention. Can I say this includes teachers as well as pupils? Sometimes when you, you get to a certain stage in your Christianity, you can think, oh, I know this. You're foolish to think that. Uh, because you're ever discovering more and more stuff. More and more is being revealed to you. So you might know the rudiments of something, but then the, the depth of it and then how it's connected to other things, there's always so much, so much more to learn. So we must pay attention is both for the pupils and for the teachers. It says that God speaks to us by none less than his own son. Therefore, we should pay careful attention. In the Old Testament, he spoke to them through angels or through prophets or through Moses, who would be considered a prophet. But now us, he Jesus Christ has spoken to us, not some angel uh, or or a prophet, but Jesus Christ himself. It says in Hebrews 1 and 2, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. Jesus Christ himself has come. It says here, not just to pay attention, but we're to pay careful attention. It could be the longer we've been a Christian, the more complacent we become. Oh, I know that. You know, we read our Bible and we think, oh, 
it gets boring because I've read this story so many times. But you know that in it, there's lots of things that you haven't seen yet because he hasn't revealed them to you because your attitude was somewhat blase about it. Or, you know, you listen to someone speaking and you think, oh, I've heard this so many times, you know. Some sermons can be like that, but sometimes hidden within them, there's a little gem, you know. And I'm always looking for the gems. I'm thinking when I teach, if I find something that I don't know, there's a good chance that they don't know it as well. Because on the basis of, I spend a lot more time digging and searching, so there's probably something. And if I get excited about something, I'm only hoping that when I drop this gem on you, you'll get excited about it, but sometimes it just plops on the floor, you know. And you get, oh, well, don't, don't plug it to death, it doesn't matter. So we must... Pay careful attention. We've perhaps settled for the basics and we don't want to go any further. If, if, if we don't go forward, like I said at the beginning, we'll go back. So we must be pressing forward to discover and find more. We can also lose ground that we once had. Have you discovered that? I discovered it in a, a sort of a... I didn't like it because when I was first in ministry, I mean, we were a, a growing charismatic church and we were doing lots of teaching and so on and that. And then God led me into this ministry with homeless people where I never taught anything to anyone because it was a completely different group of people that you were ministering to. You know, it was about helping them and supporting them and loving them and just speaking and saying, and I did that for a good number of years, maybe 10 or 15 years. Then when I went back into regular church, all the things I, the scriptures that I just knew like this, they'd gone. And I had to almost start again. You know, with, so we can lose things. We can lose ground fairly easily. And the danger in all these warnings, it's not about rejecting but it's about neglecting. We don't reject the Lord, we don't reject his word, but we can neglect it. And then we're not learning much from it at all. When we neglect the exhortations of what God's word tells us, we start to drift. <coughs> we start to drift. The nature of drifting is you don't know you're drifting. You know, you get out on that lilo, oh, and then you just put your head up and you're 500 yards from the, you know, from the shore and you think, oh, I've got to do something about this. But you didn't appreciate you were drifting. That's the, the whole point about it. In the Old Testament, God was quite severe, wasn't he? Chastising the people all the time as they drifted from his word. Uh, because it's, it's different now for us. It is the love that is in our heart that drives us, the faith that internally causes us to come close to God. That's the wonderful thing about the new covenant and the old covenant. The old covenant is we were, we were all the time like this. You keep on track, you keep on track. With this one, we keep on track through love and through faith. The, the working of the spirit on the inside when they violated the message spoken by angels, they violated it. How will we escape if we ignore or violate the message given to us by Christ? See, it's serious. 
Remember when they were going to, uh, they were supposed to go into uh, the promised land. And uh, there's a bit of a contradiction in scripture. On one of them, it says God told them to send spies in. On another, it doesn't say that. It said God told them to go in. Well, even if he did send them to tell them to go to send spies in, which is a sensible thing to do, they were never meant to come back and say this is no go. They were just to go come back and give a report because to let the people know. Anyway, the, the report comes back. 10 negative, 2 positive, we know that. And so they don't go in, remember? And then old Moses gives them a bit of a speech, doesn't he? And so they say, oh, oh, all right, and then we'll go in. And he says, don't go in, because God's not with you anymore. I'll read that to you. But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up, because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will, uh, will face you there. Because you have turned away from the Lord, he will not be with you, and you will fall by the sword. Quite severe, you see. They violated what God had said, and they never went into the promised land. Not one of them. The youngsters went in, but not them, apart from Joshua and Caleb, of course. God instructed his people to go into the promised land. Of course there were giants there. God knew that. But they didn't trust him. They grumbled. And they refused to obey. The result was they journeyed in the wilderness for 38 days. Uh, years, sorry. And every one of them died. It says they died in the sand. See, we... we they paid a great price in the Old Testament so that we might learn. Uh, and God is, he seems much more gracious and tremendous in the New Testament, but it's the same God. God hasn't changed. It sometimes just appears that way to us. Ne neglecting God's word will expose us to Satan's attack in our lives. It will. You know, he who dwells under the shadow of the Almighty is the is the protected one. If you're not sheltering there, you are exposed to the enemy. And so we mustn't neglect the word of the Lord, otherwise Satan has a, a field day in our lives. Neglecting God's word will result in a wilderness experience. There's nothing nice about being in the wilderness. I always have a little chuckle when somebody pulls a positive sermon out of the wilderness experience. I'm thinking, no, they were just with zero faith, in total disobedience, and it said for 38 years God was angry with them. I mean, who wants to be there? Me, I want to go into the promised land. I don't mind the giants. I don't mind the battles and the high walls and everything. Let's, let's take it on, but at least God's with us. And then there's that beautiful chapter, you know, where it lists all the cities that Joshua took, one after the other. There's about 30 of them. It's just like, yes, God was there. Verse 2 speaks about violation and disobedience. To knowingly break God's word is a violation. That sounds a very serious word, doesn't it? To knowingly ignore God's word is a disobedience. That doesn't sound quite so bad. So we have to be careful. If we know what God has said and we're just not going to do it, that is a serious state of affairs. We have little or no excuse for not knowing God's word today. 
If we're too lazy to apply ourselves, then we're lazy. But we don't have a good excuse. God confirms or testifies to his word, it says in here, with signs and wonders. In the passage it says, This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord. Did you notice the Trinity here? This salvation that was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Then it says, God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. There he is, the Holy Spirit, distributing according to his will. When God speaks and you act on it, you will see miracles. Now, uh, you say, well, do we ever see miracles? I think we cheat ourselves because so often we talk about the providence of God. I think the providence of God is a miracle. I don't use the providence of God anymore. I see every providence of God as a miracle. Remember when our troops were on Dunkirk? And uh, the story is well told, isn't it? And the, the weather was terrible. And they needed a little break, didn't they? Remember, so that fertility of little boats could all get there. And it was the providence of God. that It was all lovely for about two days or something. And they, they, they got 300,000 troops out. And they were only expecting like 50,000 or something. And they said it was the providence of God. It's a miracle. Call it what it is. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. So you really experience miracles. Now you might say, oh, that was providential, that that person was there who said that at that time to that person and that happened. That wasn't providence. That was God. Now you might say it was God, but it was a miracle. He performed a miracle. And just take you somewhere else a bit weird now. If, If we go to this timeless God... Everything happens by cause and effect. Yes? Cause and effect. That's what happens in life. Before anything was anything, God set up all these causes and effects for eternity. It like does your head in, doesn't it? You can't think about it. You know, how did he work all that out in advance? Well, somehow he does that. He can he can make the whole of the universe have cause and effect. So the fact that you're here and hi, here and how did I get here and why did David move here and why am I living where I'm living and why did I meet my neighbour who did this before, outside of time, God set it all up by cause and effect. Our whole life is a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. It's, it's just wonderful what God is doing. When God speaks either through his written word or directly into your spirit and you believe and act upon it, you will see the miracles of God. See them for what they are. The miracles of God. What is it we have the danger of drifting away from? The message that was preached to the first generation of Christians it says was a great salvation did you read that there? did you see that I had to preach on Sunday 
uh, uh, up in London, and I thought, oh, because I'm I'm preparing about ten sermons at once, okay? Because I teach here, and then I teach tomorrow at Chingford, and it's like two sermons tonight, and then two at Chingford, and then I'm I'm proofreading what Daphne has already typed for the next course, and I'm writing the course after that. So my head's all over the place, see? And in the, in the midst of all of this, and there's no other way of doing it. I can't do it any other way, okay? Because it, it all just goes... And I'm thinking, oh, I've got to get a message for Sunday. And I, I just say, I need a miracle, you see? I need a miracle in my life. I say, Holy Spirit, you just got to give it to me. You only have got to give me... Give me it and I'll do the work. Because I have to do the work. We all have to do the work. But then he helps me even doing the work. And he spoke to me from this because I was looking at this. And he said, this, this struck me. This great salvation. Is your salvation great? I mean, is it great? Is it great? Or is it just salvation? Let's see. We talk about the good news the fact that Jesus Christ died for you, it was once good news. Do you remember when it was good news? But then after you've been a Christian a little while, it's not good news anymore, is it? No, it's not. It's good. It's good. But it's not news, because to be news, it has to be new, doesn't it? I got that right, didn't I? So it has to be new. Uh, you know, so it's good, but it's not it's not the gospel anymore to me. In that sense, it's not good news to me anymore. So we constantly need more good news, good news, good news, good news. It appears that the, the Christians here, they had lost the fact that it was a great salvation. How shall we escape if we ignore, he says, such a great salvation? Great. Some say the saints who received this were first-generation Christians. I think they were second-generation Christians, actually. That's why it had sort of it had it had been diluted down to them, and that's just the way it is. Do you think it's diluted in this country? Do you think the gospel has got diluted? I most seriously think it has. Uh, so it's possible that there are people sitting in these churches that have never heard this great salvation they've heard about salvation they've heard about their sins are forgiven and they know they're going to heaven and that is good but that's not this great salvation I tell you what the great salvation is do you know what the great salvation is you can live like Jesus. <coughs> That's it. Not that you're saved and going to heaven. That's good. I'm excited about that. But that's not this great salvation. This great salvation is you can live like Jesus Christ. Maybe they've only heard the good news that they can be born again and go to heaven. If that's all they heard... They need to be taught more. They need to be enthralled with more. We sadly say, oh, they settle for salvation. I'm not settling for salvation. Jesus or bust. That's it. I want to live like Jesus. 
I want to have those values inside of me of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I want those, those virtues to govern my heart and life because they govern the heart and life of Jesus. That's the great salvation. And I will not be content because the Spirit of God pushes me forward all the time till I possess these things. This great salvation, it will claim our entire devotion. It will. That's why you're here. That's why when there's a prayer meeting, it's you that's in the prayer meeting. That's why when there's a call to ministry, it's you. Why? Because I know who I'm speaking to. I'm speaking to people who say, I want this. You will, you will sell everything to get the pearl of greatest price. You won't settle for just salvation. You want great salvation. Only an insight into the 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 abundant glory and the surpassing greatness will compel men. So you must get a vision. You must get a vision of what your life can be like. And the vision is Jesus. So you can see, it's we drift away from Jesus. We stop seeing Jesus and we're sunk. We must have him. We run the race with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and we never take them off Jesus. To be like him, to sound like him. This message, as I said, it comes through a triune God. It comes through a holy trinity, which was first announced by the Lord. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles. The gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. God, God came to them. God came to you. God drew you. No less than God himself. God himself. To neglect God's word is nothing less than despising God. Oh, I don't care what he says. See how terrible that is. We neglect God's word at our peril. The more we neglect his word now, the diminished responsibilities we're given in the next world. I want, I want the top position in the next world. And I know how to get it. I go as low as I possibly can in this world. And by going low here, he will exalt me there. Jesus, he says in Philippians, didn't he? He went all the way down as low as he could possibly go. Took on the nature of a servant, the nature of a man, took on death, the death of a cross. And what does it say? Therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the position against, above everything. The way up is the way down. It's always that way. We should be hungry to discover his truth. 
the truth that's found in this word. More truth liberates us more and more and more. That's the nature of truth. It liberates. And it helps us to understand this God. This God who came and introduced himself to us. We must study to become, I don't like this word, but experts. Incorrectly, it says in 2 Timothy 2.15, experts in correctly handling the word of God. It's so vital. And we must always, as Peter says, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us the reason for the hope that we have. When I was a young man, a teenager, I think, I remember once in the church, it was Pentecostal. I don't know if they do this in other churches, but it was like this, this leader got me on the front and on the platform. And he said, so I want to, you to give us an account of why you believe what you believe. I couldn't do it. That's burned into me. I was so embarrassed, felt so stupid. Not a good thing to do, but I can give a good account now. You know what I mean? We have to apply ourselves so we can, we're prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us the reason for the hope that lies within us. It goes on, and we're going to study this uh, in Hebrews 5. It says each one of us should be teachers, be able to teach. Remember when we looked at those uh, foundational teachings? I think we looked at that briefly there. It doesn't mean you stand up here with a a teaching ministry, but every one of us should be able to to sit with another Christian, and when they say something like, Talk to me about the judgment. Talk to me about the resurrection of the dead. Uh, Talk to me about what repentance is. We should be able to teach, to explain what that thing means. And I've realised, to be able to explain it to you, I have to work very hard here to be able to get it out there. They say teaching is 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration, and it is. But the perspiration isn't here. The perspiration is when you're sitting on your own and you're, you're, you're absorbing the, the truth of God in such a way, and I'm thinking all the time, how can I best explain this? How, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me break this down so people can eat it and get it. The church in the West has more teaching material than any previous generation. You know that. There are thousands of books out there. We just have to press that button and it's zoomed to our house tomorrow. You know, any subject under the sun that you want to read about, it's there, it's there, it's there. By fantastic, you know, theologians, great authors, people who've had tremendous insights, tremendous testimonies. But sadly, in this generation, There's more materialism and more pressure on us than any generation before has ever known. And it's getting faster and faster and faster. Uh, Even in our own lives, we've realised, you know, you could once receive a letter and give a letter in a few days now. It's going like this. The messages are flying backwards and forwards. We have to redeem the time. 
we have to sit down and thinking, I need to organise the priorities in my life. I need to study. I need to get hold of God's word. It's a little book, isn't it? You know what I mean? As far as books go, I mean, there's loads of people who wrote loads more than this. So we've got this little book. But in it, we've got to come to terms with it, you know. And if it's too much, well, just, just do a third of it. Just do the New Testament. That'll do. That'll keep you going till Jesus comes. If you don't even bother with the old, I mean, it helps you with the old to understand the new. But we need to... Where is everybody? Where is everybody? Let's hope they're plugged into someone else. They're receiving teaching from someone else so that they've, they've set his word before them because if they haven't they're going to drift they're going to drift this is what it says unless we pay attention it says we're going to drift that's it God bless you you've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can partner with our ministry by making a secure online donation. You can also now follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. Arise Ministry, a living legacy.